Good morning, everyone. Have a picture to start with, and uh, see if anybody can tell me what it's from. I always like having difficult questions that I know the answer for because it makes me feel smart. <laughs> but uh, this is uh, Biden in uh, the first day of his administration uh, signing uh, executive orders that uh, were designed to show how he was planning to, to govern as a president for the next uh, four years, an indication of uh, what it was his administration uh, goal to achieve. Um, some of them were, um, I think there were like a total of 15 or 20. I, I wrote a few of them just to give you an idea. One was uh, uh, an executive order rejoining the Paris Agreement on Climate Change. So if you remember one of the things Trump did is he left that agreement that the United States made with, uh, with that particular group. Um, executive order coordinating a government-wide COVID-19 response. So somehow suggesting that the government is going to take a more, uh, become more involved in how the country is, is dealing with the pandemic. And, and there were a bunch of others, I'll stop there. But uh, it's something normal that when a new person takes control, whether it's a president or a king or a dictator, that they will uh, let people know early on how they are planning to, to govern, right? Uh, the changes that, in a sense, they're bringing to the table. And that's really all I want you to, to get from this uh, illustration in our passage today. We'll see Jesus in his first days, perhaps, of ruling the world, um, judging the nations. And, uh, and recognize that uh, he is revealing how things are going to be different now that he's in charge. <laughs> so like we'll, we'll, we'll hopefully circle back to that at the end of the message. For now, let's go ahead and read the passage. So this is um, Matthew uh, chapter 25, and reading, starting at verse 31 and reading to the end of the chapter. Matthew 25, starting at verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, 
when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So this is called, uh, many of your Bibles might have the inspired title of Judgment of the Nations. So we want to pause and just recognize that, uh, you know, two things. Uh, God's uh, judgments don't happen very frequently, not this type of judgments, where God will very clearly intervene in history in a major way and, and uh, judge uh, people. And uh, it actually, there's a place where it says that God's judgment are his unusual act because he doesn't typically do it. People sin every day. We don't see God judging people every day. So these are very infrequent events in history where God will step in and exercise his judgment on mankind. Uh, second, we recognize that they do happen with some frequency, and so uh, we want to discern one from the other, right? God's judgments are not all the same. At different times, he will do different things. Uh, in the Garden of Eden, he judged Adam and Eve by putting them out of the garden, right? They sinned against him. They were no longer welcome in the Garden of Eden and fellowship with God. They had to go outside into the world. And certain things were going to happen to them that were different from the way they were before. That was one of God's major judgments. Another is the flood. Right? God covered the earth with water and killed all living things except for those who were in the ark. Um, we know there's going to be a judgment at the end of the period of the millennium. That's the great white throne judgment where everybody will stand before God. He will resurrect people that were dead, that died in past ages, and they too will be judged. Okay? This one is, has its own pe peculiar features. Right? It's different than the other judgments. Um, first, uh, when will it happen? Uh, it seems to follow uh, the verses we read in Matthew 24, uh, verse 29 says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes 
of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So this is at the very end of the period of tribulation. Jesus will come bodily back into the earth with power and great glory. And so to me, it seems to pick up in this verse 31 in chapter 25, when the Son of Man comes in his glory. So this is the very end of the tribulation period, or if you would, the very beginning of the millennium, the thousand-year reign of the Lord Jesus. Location is suggested to us by a uh, prophecy that I somehow managed to delete from my notes. Oh, no, I think it's on another page. Give me a second to find it. All right, <laughs> here it is. Joel chapter 3 says, uh, For behold, in those days and at that time, when I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And I will enter into judgment with them on account of my people, my heritage, Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations. They have also divided up my land. So to me, this seems like a parallel verse. It was suggested by Bill McDonald's commentary. So I feel there's more than just me in seeing this connection. But uh, it's a time where God is speaking about bringing back the captives of Judah, bringing back the Jews who were scattered all over the earth back to Jerusalem. And then he will also bring all the nations to a place called the Valley of Jehoshaphat, and there he will judge the nation. So that seems to be close enough to believe that the two accounts uh, describe the same event. Uh, they're gathered in a place called the Valley of Jehoshaphat. I have a map uh, that if Luke can uh, show. Now, just be a little bit careful about a couple of things. First of all, uh, there's nothing specifically in the Bible or archaeology that will prove this is the Valley of Jehoshaphat. But it seems to be people's best guess. Uh, this would be the Kidron Valley. So that's Jerusalem on the left hand and the Mountain Olive of the right hand. Um, and then the Kidron Valley, or uh, is, is the river of Kidron, is going right between them. And that's the one that people believe is the Valley of Jehoshaphat. It kind of makes sense because Jesus would be in Jerusalem at the time, right, judging the nation. So that would be a, a logical place. Now, we need to remember that the geography may very well change when the Lord Jesus comes back. He talks about the mountain of the Lord being lifted up above the mountains. It also says that when he comes down on the Mount of Olives, he will split it in half. So... <laughs> You know, geography will change, but this is people's best guess right now of where this judgment will take place. So a real physical place, right? The Lord Jesus will really be there, and all the nations will be gathered together. Now, we need to remember this will be all the nations at the end of the tribulation period, where we understand a lot of people will die, maybe half the population of the world. We don't know exactly how many. Um, it will be after uh, the, the last battle. So the beast or the Antichrist gathered really all the armies of the earth against uh, Jerusalem, and there they will be defeated by the Lord Jesus. So they will not be there either. They, they, they're already gone. So we're talking about really the remnants of the nations of the earth. I would call them the non-combatants, right? The ones who didn't come to Jerusalem to fight against the Lord Jesus but survived the, period, the tribulation period. 
Okay, so that's, that's the time, that's the place. Those under the judgment, I already, I already uh, suggested as much. It's the, those who survived the millennium, sorry, the, uh, the tribulation period. Uh, now, I'll go ahead and refine it a little bit, which again, it's not just me. Most people will see uh, this statement, the judgment of the nations, most likely speaking about the Gentile nation. Uh, it's very clear in the parallel passage in Jehoshaphat that God is bringing the nations and there he's judging them uh, on account of my people, my heritage, Israel. So Israel itself is not being judged at that time. Now, don't feel like it's God is being unfair. Why are the Gentiles being judged and the Jews are not being judged? God has judged the Jews uh, already. Uh, multiple times. <laughs> Most of the Old Testament is God's judgment of the Jewish people. He also judged them for the rejection of the Lord Jesus, and technically we're still in that judgment period. The nation of Israel is still under the judgment of God. A couple of verses on that. Luke 21, 24 says, and they will fall by the edge of the sword, describing the Jewish people, and be led away captive into all nations. That happened at the fall of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Uh, till this day, there's still a Muslim mosque, the Dome of the Rock, sitting where the Jewish temple ought to be. Right? So even though it seems like Israel is somehow no longer under the power of the Gentiles, uh, it's clear that they still are. They're still, their hands are still tied as to what they can do in Jerusalem. But there's also a spiritual judgment. In Romans 11, verse 25, Paul says, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion. That blindness, in part, has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So I praise the Lord uh, for saving me, uh, a person from a Jewish background, but uh, very clearly, it talks about uh, there being a blindness in part on the nation of Israel right now. Uh, I used to be part of Jews for Jesus, and we would go out specifically trying to save Jews. We had literature designed to save Jews. We tried to enter into conversation with Jewish people. And, uh, and yet, for all of that, the statistics of Jews for Jesus showed that for every Jewish person who is saved through the ministry, nine Gentile persons are being saved through the ministry. Even when we're trying to reach Jews, it's the Gentiles that are getting saved. Why? It's because of, because of this blindness in part that is under the, the nation of Israel is under, which is part of the judgment that came upon them for rejecting, rejecting Jesus as their Messiah. So they're still under judgment. Now that period of judgment will come to an end and Paul continues in verse 26, And so all Israel will be saved, as it is written, the Deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So God is clearly going to bring Israel's blindness to an end and then save them as a nation. In fact, David mentioned that as he was covering the parable of the fig tree uh, Jesus uh, told people to watch for uh, the branch of the fig tree getting tender and the leaves coming out. And that would be a signification to the fact that the Lord Jesus was about to come. David pointed to the fact that that likely speaks of Israel's spiritual revival, 
Right now, Israel is in, in hardness against the Lord, but the Lord will bring that to an end where their hearts will be softened and we'll see Jews being saved. The period of tribulation itself, uh, 144,000 Jews will be selected to be a special missionary force, really released on, on the entire world. Um, and we'll see, see more of the evidence of that later, that during the tribulation period, the Jewish people will really turn uh, and come to know the Lord Jesus. Okay, um, that brings us to the fifth point. What is it that the nations are going to be judged uh, for? And uh, Jesus, uh, after separating them from you know, the, the sheep on the right, the goats on the left, these are people, they're not sheep and goats. Uh, it's just used as an illustration because a shepherd that has sheep and goat really will separate the two because they have different uh, characteristics that would make it difficult to have a herd of sheep and a herd of goats mixed. They like different things. They don't go along together. And that's really the idea here of separating. A shepherd must separate the sheep from the goats. In this case, Jesus must separate one set of people from the other set of people, the people who are going to be uh, rewarded and those who are going to be judged in this judgment. But that, what they're being rewarded or judged for really has to do with how they treated the Jewish people. Uh, the Jewish people during this time will be persecuted. Revelation chapter 12, uh, verse 13 says, uh, Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. Who is the male child? Jesus. Who's the dragon? That's the Satan or the Antichrist. But you're right, it would be ultimately Satan. Uh, and he is persecuting who? The, the Jews, the woman, right? The one who gave birth to the male child. But the woman ha was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time. We know that's speaking about the period of great tribulation uh, that would follow from the present, uh, presence of the serpent. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman and went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So it describes the Satan or the Antichrist really persecuting uh, the Jewish believers in the Lord Jesus around the world. We know all believers will be persecuted as well, but um, this seems to be a particular aim at the Jewish people that are resisting the Antichrist, they're refusing to put on the mark, they're refusing to worship him, they're turning to the true God, they're following the Lord Jesus, and they're going to be under great persecution during the tribulation period. And in this judgment, God is taking the remnants, the survivors of the tribulation, bringing them, and he will be judging them based on how they treated this, these persecuted Jewish people around the world. Uh, the, the sheep, or the one uh, that was set on his right-hand side, he is rewarding them based on the fact 
that they fed him, they gave him drink, they took him in, they, um, they clothed him, they took care of him when, when he was sick, they took care of him when he was in prison, and he makes it clear that they did that when they took care of these Jewish refugees. Whenever they took care of them, it was really what they were doing for him. Right? And on the other hand were the goats. Those were the people who did not. They didn't, they didn't help these Jewish refugees. Uh, they were in agreement with the Antichrist. Maybe they even helped persecute them. We don't know. Right? It just says that they didn't do good. In this case, the lack of helping was the same as hurting. You have these people who are in such need. They have no food. They have no water. They have nowhere to, you know, no, no shelter. They, they have no clothing, no adequate clothing. Um, and they're sick or they're thrown into jail. And in the lack of helping them, you're making their situation worse. Right? And... Um, so that's what people were being judged for doing this time. Now, we want to be careful as we see that one half is rewarded and the other half is being judged. Uh, it's easy to conclude from this passage, and this is one of the passages people will go to to try to prove that we're saved by works, right? It's by doing good things that you'll go to heaven. And if you don't do good things or you do bad things, you're going to go to hell. So... Uh, it's important to recognize that there's another side to that. It's if you are a believer, and we know that during this time, there will be a great number of people getting saved around the world. There will be many Gentile believers in the Lord Jesus. And it's likely that those are the ones who were helping the Jewish people. Right? They were the ones who were moved by the plight of Jewish believers in the Lord Jesus, and they were willing to share their food with them, to share their drink with them, to provide them with shelter, to provide them with clothing, to help them when they were sick, to, to help them when they were in prison or in other way being persecuted. That would be, to me, a signature of a true believer, a true Gentile believer during that time, is to reach out and help the Jewish people. And their action of helping is an evidence of their salvation, like... Uh, what we see in James chapter 2. James chapter 2 says, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say to them, Depart, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if he does not have works, is dead. And so these actions of the Gentiles believers in helping the Jewish refugees was the works that showed that their faith was genuine. And that is why in this judgment of the nation, they're the ones being rewarded. Yes, they're being rewarded for their works. God does reward us for our works. But the reason that they were saved from punishment is because of the faith in the Lord Jesus, right? Salvation is by faith. It's not by works. Okay, what's the rewards and punishment associated with this particular judgment? We see in, uh, for the first group, he said, come, 
you blessed of my Father, enter the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I believe this is speaking of the millennium, right? The millennium, uh, the judgment of the earth, the destruction of the earth really, and the tribulation period is over, and now God has a kingdom prepared for those who will enter it, right? So it would be the Jewish believers in the Lord Jesus, the Gentile believers in the Lord Jesus. And uh, this, this kingdom that's prepared is described for us in uh, a number of places in the Old Testament. Uh, in Isaiah 2, it says, Now it shall come to pass in the later days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all the nations shall flow into it. Many people shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his path. For out, out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. So clearly the Lord Jesus will be uh, the king of the world. He is the king of kings and lords of lords, and he will be acknowledged so at that time. All the nations will recognize his rulership, and they will all come to worship him, right? This won't be the Antichrist who is somehow forcing people to worship him. They will want to. They will want to know the Lord Jesus. They will, not, they will want to know the true God of the universe. And there will be peace. He will uh, lead the world into a peace it's never known. Today people might say peace, peace, but there is no peace. I don't think there's been a moment since... Uh, uh, Adam and Eve were, were put out of the garden where the world really enjoyed peace. But this is the time, this is the thousand years that God has designated for this purpose, for the world to see what true peace is like. Uh, people will not make war upon one another. Uh, how different that would be from the world today. People want that kind of life. You, if you listen to the news, a lot of people will claim that's what they want. But this world is not able to make that happen because ultimately we're all selfish. And uh, when we have power to take something from people, we will. And it will really take the rule of the Lord Jesus over this world to really bring the peace that we all claim that we want. There will also be peace in the world of nature. Isaiah 11 says, The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, the young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the wind child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, as the water covered the sea. One of the things that happened with the fall wasn't just people fighting against people, but animals fighting against animals. I mean, this will be <laughs> such a different world when the Lord Jesus uh, reigns over it. 
And uh, so it's a great reward for those who were sheltering uh, the Jewish refugees to now to be able to enter and enjoy this kingdom that God had prepared for them. On the other side, uh, Jesus says very clearly, uh, depart from me, you cursed into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil uh, and his angels. And he says later on, uh, and these will go away into everlasting punishment. There's no clearer scripture in the Bible teaches about the reality of hell and the fact that people will enter into judgment, everlasting uh, punishment. But I want you to notice uh, uh, some key omissions uh, in the passage um, that really speak about God's connection uh, to this judgment in, in the blessing to the, uh, to the sheep. He says, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Note that it does not say uh, use those same, that same kind of language when it describes the, uh, the judgment or the punishment uh, for the goats. He says, depart from me, you curse. It doesn't say you cursed of my father. He says you cursed. Then it says into the everlasting fire prepared not for you, but for the devil and his angels. It wasn't God's desire for people to go into hell. That is not why God created hell. That's not what God purposed for people. This is the result of their own choice. In a sense, they were cursed by themselves. In a sense, it's their own choice to go into uh, the everlasting fire. It's not God's desire for them. And we could see it also if we go back to uh, the description of the period of tribulation in, chapter, in Revelation chapter 9, verse 20, it says, But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues, so this is as God is raining down judgments on the earth during the period of tribulation. Uh, so the rest of mankind, the ones who were not killed by these plagues, did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk, and they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their theft. So the fact that they did not repent shows that God wanted them to repent. The purpose of all these judgments going down, the purpose of the 144,000 going all over the earth with the gospel was to bring people to repentance. So these people being judged in the judgment of the nations are people who refuse to repent. God gave them, if you would, greater signs, greater witness than anyone has received in the history of the world. And these people refuse to repent. And so we have to acknowledge that they have a responsibility. The fact that they are now being put into the everlasting fire is, in a sense, their own choice. They may not have understood exactly how bad it was going to be, but they understood what God wanted them to do, and they refused to repent of all these sins that we just went through. Okay, that brings us back to the beginning. What's the message that the Lord Jesus has for us? This is how he opens the millennium. And um, what is it that he wants 
uh, people to learn? What did he want people at that time to learn? What does he want us to learn? Because this is recorded uh, in his word. And uh, the, uh, the most immediate application uh, would, have, would be to the Jewish refugees uh, during that time. People perhaps would be looking at them scattered over the earth and suffering uh, persecution by the Antichrist. And they would say, you know, these people are dumb. You know, why don't they just worship him? Why don't they put on the sign, right? And, and everything will be good with them, right? The, the, the foolish one. And, uh, and maybe they themselves were struggling. Why is this happening to us? We believe we're doing what God wants us to do. Why then is he allowing all these uh, terrible things to happen to us? And this is the time when the coin is being turned. And God is showing, no, these people were actually the wise one. They made the right uh, choice. And I love them, right? It wasn't a lack of care and concern for them that resulted in their suffering on the earth. And he showed just how much he loves them by saying, everything you did to them, it's like you did it to me, right? You can't love someone more. If you were to hurt one of my kids, right, it's like you did it to me because I love my kids so much. In the same way, here the Lord Jesus is identifying himself with them. This is how much anything you did for them, it's like you did it to me. And um, I think uh, we could apply, it, apply that to ourselves today. Uh, my kids going to public school, uh, my daughter Eliana, will occasionally uh, try to witness or at least, you know, testify to her faith in the Lord Jesus. And, um, you know, sometimes she'll get, you know, mocked for it. But uh, often she'll actually find some say, oh, I'm a Christian too. Uh, but she'll find out that they're not real believers. Someone so told her that uh, this week and then proceeded to tell her, yeah, I'm, I'm also a Christian, or I think Catholic in this case. But uh, I don't agree with everything the Catholic Church says. You know, I think people should be allowed to have whatever sexuality they want, and abortion is okay, and all these other things that, you know, it's like, wow. Uh, and uh, another, another uh, girl that she, you know, told she was a Christian says, well, I'm a half Christian. You know, I believe half the Bible. It just seems to be so difficult you know, I mean, we, we experience it too as grown-ups. Uh, we find few believers. Uh, it seems like there's less and less, right, as you go to the younger generation. It's like they're all, uh, you know, brainwashed with all these things that are being taught. Uh, and people will look at my children and say, you know, you're, you're foolish to believe all these things that the Bible teaches. You know, you're foolish to uh, believe that God created the world. You're Foolish to believe that God will, will judge us for our sins. Uh, you're foolish to hold on to, you know, these this moral ideas of what's right and wrong, right? And yet the coin on that will turn, right? God, Jesus is coming back, right? And it will become really clear who was the wise one uh, and who was the foolish one. And uh, we need to keep that in mind that uh, while the world might ridicule us, in some parts of the world, believers are being persecuted, uh, yet God cares for us. Uh, 
the lack of, of uh, support we're getting from those around us is no indicator of uh, the dial of God's affection. It's set to maximum. And you and I are the recipients of his affection. Whatever it is that uh, people do to us, as far as the Lord Jesus is concerned, it's what's being done to him. And they will answer to it. He says in uh, Zechariah 2, 3, that he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Uh, same as, you know, someone poking you in the eye, that's the way it would feel. Uh, it feels to the Lord Jesus if anyone uh, touches one of us. So uh, that's one application. Another one is uh, we have an opportunity to show love to the Lord Jesus. He uh, told us uh, that we should love one another as he loves us. And, and we have two reasons uh, to do it. One, uh, because he told us to. And, and doing it shows love to him because he told us to, but also because he loves the other believers around you so much that everything you do for them, it's like you've done it to him. Then we, we want to look at the other side of that. Uh, you know, hopefully everybody that's listening to me is a believer in the Lord Jesus and has nothing to fear, but uh, maybe there's some that are not, maybe some that might listen to the audio later on and we just want to recognize that uh, 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 God's judgment is real. Right? These uh, people here, uh, as far as I know, will actually uh, skip the uh, great white throne judgment. They're going directly to hell from this judgment as the Antichrist and the false prophet did. Um, God's judgment uh, is real, and it's a consequence of refusing to repent of our sins. Uh, I, I spoke earlier about the different judgments of God on the earth. They're being put out of the Garden of Eden, uh, the flood, and uh, then this, this is uh, the next major one, perhaps, the judgment of the nation. There was another judgment, probably right in between those two, that we often don't think about, uh, but it happened at uh, 33 AD. God judged all of our sins. But he judged them on the Lord Jesus. First Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Uh, our sins uh, is, is what requires us going to uh, the lake of fire, that we go there to pay for our own sins. But all of our sins have already been paid for by the Lord Jesus on the cross. There's no reason for anyone to go to the lake of fire because of their sins, uh, since the Lord Jesus has already paid. The only thing that, uh, that uh, you need to do is receive that salvation. Accept what he did for you on your behalf. Turn from your sins and follow God based on what the Lord Jesus has done for you on the cross. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love to us. We thank you for this judgment. We recognize it's a declaration of your holiness and your righteousness. We thank you for the great love you have uh, for us and for your desire for the lost to come to know you. We pray for anyone here who doesn't know you, that they might uh, respond to your invitation to them, your desire for them to enter into the kingdom prepared for them from the foundation of the earth by laying hold of the Lord Jesus and what he did for them on the cross. For we ask it in his name. Amen.